Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Every year we read the entire Torah, one portion per week. And every year we find ourselves, our troubles and our victories, our hopes and our dreams reflected in the Parsha. It's an incredible journey through text and time. And this year, I'm excited to share that Rabbi David Kasher, Hadar's new director on the West Coast, will be our guide to the weekly Parsha, sharing a new Dvar Torah on this podcast every week. Rabbi Kasher's approach is built on a love of the Torah's text, not only its content, but the beauty and artistry of its language, focusing on the imagery, wordplay, and even grammar in each Parsha. Rabbi David will begin at the beginning with Parshat Breshit. Let's listen. The Grammar of God, Parshat Bereshit. The Torah signals to us from the start that words have great power. A book that opens with an account of a world created through divine speech acts reveals its own interest in the creative possibilities of language. So we can expect this text to choose its words carefully, deliberately. We might not, however, have expected the extent to which the Torah is willing to manipulate the other features and forms of language in order to communicate ideas. We might not, for example, have expected that it would make some of its first great theological statements by introducing incongruities and idiosyncrasies into its grammar. Translation can obscure this. In Hebrew, the Torah's opening phrase, often translated, in the beginning God created, requires just three words, Bereshit, in the beginning, bara, created, Elohim, God. But there's a grammatical problem between the second and third words. To understand that problem, we should begin by considering another bigger problem with the third word, translated as God, Elohim. This word, with a suffix yud-mem, im, seems to be plural, as if it meant not God, but gods. We know this, Ibn Ezra points out, because we later find the singular form of the word, Eloah. Indeed, there are places in the Torah where the word Elohim clearly describes a plural gods and has a plural grammar, most prominently in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods, Elohim, Acherim, before me. So how did that polytheistic-sounding plural sneak into the first verse of a book so central in establishing monotheism? The classical commentators notice this and propose various solutions. Ibn Ezra explains that the plural form in Hebrew is used as an honorific, derech kavod. Chizkuni tells us that Elohim should be understood as a term of authority, something like the powers that be. Sephorno sees the plural as indicative of the plurality of forms of existence that all emerge from God, who is the ultimate form of existence. Surat kol hatsurot. But whatever interpretation of the word Elohim we choose, we must then contend with its relationship to that other word we highlighted earlier, bara, created a verb which is, notably, in the singular. Here, in the first action described in the Torah, the subject and the predicate did not agree. In Hebrew, this discrepancy is glaring. It's Elohim bara, 
as opposed to Elohim Baru. To the English reader, it may not register because of the way the past tense in English grammar works. God created as opposed to God's created. The best way to get a sense of the problem in English would be to switch our translation to the present tense, but retain the plural form for Elohim. So, in the beginning, God's creates the heavens and the earth. Read it aloud and you can hear how it sounds like a grammatical error. It catches the ear. The Torah means to do exactly that, to catch your ear. This grammatical error is no accident. No author or editor would miss that kind of discordance in the very first sentence of a sacred book. We can only conclude that the Torah has coupled the plural noun with the singular verb intentionally in order to communicate something. It seems to me that the most straightforward way to interpret the message is to follow the logic of the strange grammar to mean something like, in this book, the apparently plural Elohim actually act as and are identified as a singular force. That's quite a bold theological statement to be making so early in this book, though it will eventually turn out to be one of the Torah's central claims. God is one. How exactly to understand that proposition is a question for further investigation. The point here is that the first time this major claim is made, it is done in the form of an irregular grammatical construction. Why would the Torah choose such an intricate and inconspicuous form of communication? To gain a broader appreciation for the technique, let's consider one more grammar-based message that the Torah seems to be sending us in this parsha, and that is once again delivered in the form of a name for God. The other primary, and eventually even more primary, name used for God in the Torah is introduced in Genesis chapter 2. Eile toldot hashamayim v'ha'aretz v'hibaram v'yom asot Adonai Elohim eretz v'shamayim. These are the stories of the heavens and the earth when they were created on the day that Adonai Elohim made the earth and the heavens. There, in front of the word for God we have so far been considering, is the four-letter name of God, the Tetragrammaton. By tradition, that name is almost never pronounced out loud as it is written. And that reluctance is born out of a profound sense of reverence for the most sacred of God's names. But practically, it also ends up focusing our attention on the way the word looks rather than how it sounds. And this word, as our eye scans it, looks familiar, but different from something we've already read in the Torah. In fact, it looks similar to two words that recurred a total of 22 times throughout the first chapter of Genesis. Yehi, let there be, and vayehi, and there was. They appear at the first moment of creation, the moment that God speaks something new into existence. Vayomer Elohim, yehi or, vayehi or. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The letters in those critical words share the same three letters, yud, he, and vav, that make up this new name of God. So it seems that this name for God is some kind of amalgam word, composed from different forms of the verb to be. It also seems that this new name for God has something to do with the act of creation. 
The Raya Mahimna section of the Zohar synthesizes these observations magnificently. Ufhachi yud Upon the name yud he all states of being depend. For all states of being come from it and testify to the master of the world, who was before all other states of being, is in all being, and will be after all being. And this is the secret, Vedal Raza, that all states of being testify to God. Was, Haya, is, Hoveh, and will be, Yehieh. This name, then, made up of the past, present, and future tenses of being, suggests to us not only that God is the Eternal One, who exists always in the past, present, and future, but also that all that comes into being emerges from some aspect of God's being. The Zohar is known primarily as the central text of Jewish mysticism, but is also a masterpiece of Torah commentary, filled with incredibly nuanced readings of language. The meaning of the four-letter name is not revealed here as an esoteric secret, but drawn out through the recognition of a created mashup of grammatical forms in the text, each of which can be seen as if literally overlapping in God's name. In this case, then, the grammar game is primarily visual, meant to catch your eye instead of your ear. But what becomes clear across these examples is the Torah's interest in communicating in this elliptical but suggestive way, using language not just as a direct conveyor of semantic meaning, but as a system of symbols and structures whose forms can be manipulated in order to send out all kinds of coded messages. The Torah, in other words, not only speaks to us directly, but also hints, winks, and signals to us alerting us to multiple layers of meaning embedded in the text, available to the close and careful reader. This aspect of the Torah's literary craft has theological implications as well. If we can discover attributes of God's being by studying the very structure of the language the Torah uses for God, then linguistic analysis becomes a tool of revelation. The divine encounter can take place through our contemplation of the words of Torah themselves. That theology is given a particularly romantic articulation by the Sefer Baal Shem Tov in its interpretation of a vivid image from the Song of Songs. Mashkiach mina chalonot, mitzitz mina harakim. My beloved is gazing through the windows, peering through the cracks. Mashiyesh remez, l'dibure Torah utfila. There's a hint in this verse about words of Torah and prayer. For the letters are called chambers, hechalot, and the Holy Blessed One has contracted itself into the letters of Torah and prayer in order to dwell here amongst human beings. God is the Beloved One, peering out through the cracks between the letters. God has contracted into the words of the Torah in order to come into contact with us through language. There's something playful about this image, almost flirtatious. God is hiding in the Torah, but wants to be found. The language of the Torah, then, will reflect that playfulness. It's no wonder the Baal Shem Tov says he sees a hint, a remez, in this verse. 
Hints are exactly what he is telling us to look out for. The Torah he's encouraging us to read is Torah Taremes, a Torah full of hints from the Beloved, trying to catch our attention, to draw us closer. We turn to look, and there, in the Torah's very first phrase, hidden in a crack in the grammar, we discover the Holy One gazing back out at us. Our producers for this episode are Sam Greenberg and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to Nadav Remez for editing this episode. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you. Thanks for listening. I wanted to let you know that I'm teaching an online Parsha class every Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, in partnership with Ikar. Uh, we'll take a deeper dive into some aspect of the material we covered in this Dvar Torah. So if you love these podcasts, it's a great way to keep the conversation going. Sign up for free at hadar.org forward slash west.